0: We record on Turrbal and Yagira country in Mianjin, Brisbane. The Committee for Brisbane acknowledges the First Nations people of the region and their continuing connection to and care of the land, waters and community of that region. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Welcome to Dream Boldly the podcast that brings together the best and brightest minds from brisbane australia proud host city of the 2032 olympic and paralympic games our guests will be experienced and well-known brisbane leaders sharing big ideas to help shape a better city and region our guest today is simon
1: hewitt director of music at queensland youth orchestras a committee for brisbane affiliate Simon graduated with first-class honours and a university medal from the University of Queensland before receiving a German government scholarship to continue his studies abroad. For the last 20 years, Simon has worked with Europe's leading opera and ballet companies, returning to Australia with his family at the height of the global pandemic to take up his position at Queensland Youth Orchestras. Today, Simon leads 600 young musicians across eight ensembles from QIO's home base at the Old Museum in Bowen Hills. Welcome, Simon. Thanks for having me. Simon, Queensland Youth Orchestras is the state's major orchestral training and performance organisation for young musicians. It's often described as like a giant nursery for the whole musical ecosystem of Queensland. Tell us a
2: little bit about that. Well, QIO was first established in 1966 by my predecessor, John Currow. And over the last 56 years, we really have trained generations of young orchestral musicians But what perhaps people don't realize is that in addition to those musicians going on and taking their places in our nation's professional orchestras, the SSO, the MSO, QSO, of course, other orchestras around the place, other alumni of ours, they go into the education system. We have a huge number of alumni teaching in the Department of Education's instrumental training program, which is out there in primary schools and secondary schools. And it's really unique anywhere in the world. We have, through the state government, for the last 50 years, had free instrumental music tuition in all our primary and secondary state schools. And that's a fantastic and untold story that we could also dig into a little bit later on. Other of our alumni are you know, subscribers to the QSO, to the Queensland Ballet, to Opera Queensland. And what we want to do at QIO is really just connect our young musicians to an appreciation for music and where they take that and what kind of journey they go on is up to them. But they really fan out and are ever present. You know, it doesn't really take you very long to stumble across someone with a QIO connection if you're looking anywhere you like in the music business.
1: You mentioned that QIO has existed now for more than 50 years. As part of your studies as a young musician, did you encounter the orchestras either as a participant or as a spectator?
2: Absolutely. I played in QAO groups between 1990 and 1996, but also I had my first experiences as a young conductor. Um, I was studying at the University of Queensland. Clarinet was my instrument, but I desperately wanted to get in front of an orchestra and have a go conducting. And I went to see John Kuro, and he was very encouraging, and he became a teacher and a mentor. And before long, he also had me up in front of the ensembles. I conducted the third Queensland Youth Orchestra for a whole year before I went abroad to study further. And John would also frequently call me in to conduct a rehearsal for the Senior Orchestra, the Queensland Youth Symphony, if he was interstate or somewhere else. So I really have QIO to thank for not only my first steps uh, as an orchestral clarinetist, but really as a, as a conductor as well. And you mentioned the
1: experience that you had there at QYO, what was a big part of your postgraduate study then overseas in Germany. Following that period of time in your life, you spent many years working abroad. And as we touched on a little earlier with, with some of the world's leading opera and ballet companies, what was it that drew you back to Australia and to your hometown of Brisbane?
2: I've always loved Brisbane. I love the climate here. Growing up I did a lot of sport in addition to to music of course. And my wife and I, my wife is also from Brisbane and we were reaching a point where our kids were starting to approach high school age and we loved our lives in Europe. You know, I was doing things that Professionally, were really exciting, and if you told me that I I would have been conducting at the Vienna State Opera or Covent Garden, you know, when I was first starting out in QIO, I would have thought you were mad. So I had a an incredible run, if you like, but there was always this niggling sense that we are. Aussie's first and foremost. And so around 2016 we started talking about a move home. And we thought for a while maybe we should base ourselves in Melbourne, you know, there's a, a little bit more going on there, but then we thought about it for 30 seconds and it's like no, we want to live in Brisbane because Brisbane has has a lightness, has has a kind of sense of humor. It doesn't take itself too seriously and we wanted our kids to grow up in Brisbane and feel that connection to family into place that we have here and we've been back now for nearly three years and we don't regret it at all. It's Mm. been a fantastic reconnection really with a city we both love.
1: And I know that, you know, a lot of our international friends, when they think of Australia, they think of Sydney and Melbourne. And when they plan a trip to Australia, it's often to those two capitals in particular. What were your peers and colleagues, what was their reaction when you told them that you were heading home to Brisbane?
2: Depended on who I spoke to, if I was talking to somebody from Sydney or Melbourne, they'd say, "Oh, you're mad to go back to Brisbane." <laughs> if I spoke to somebody from Paris or Berlin, they'd say, "You're mad to go back to Australia." So I guess it's all a question of context. You know, I've always had a hunch that Brisbane's time is yet to come. I think that as a city, we're still in a growth phase, and we're still kind of coming to terms with our potential and what we're capable of. I had an interesting, Experience When we first moved back, we'd bought a house in Tripoli, and the previous owner of the house showed us some of the architectural plans from when it was first built in the 1960s, and it had a stamp on it of Carl Langer's architectural studio. And I looked up the name because it rang a bell, and it turns out that Carl Langer is this huge figure in in Queensland architecture, but in fact, on the national scene as well. He um, was instrumental in coming up with new designs for living in a subtropical climate. Interestingly, he was an Austrian émigré as a Jewish person. He and his wife had to flee um, Austria in 1938, and he and many of his colleagues fanned out across the world. He stayed in touch with others who went to America, and he came to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And he wrote about it and sort of said, Brisbane is the best-placed large Australian city, closest to Asia, closest to America. Its climate is wonderful. And he had all these insights that he was writing about in the 1940s. And I was thinking, boy, that's still true but I'm not sure whether we've really leaned into that yet. Mm. And I guess what's exciting for me is that coming back to Brisbane in 2020, it feels very different to the Brisbane that I grew up in the 1980s. It feels like there is this, this in addition to that kind of lovely lightness and dagginess and not taking yourself too seriously, there is this people are standing a little bit taller and they're ready to kind of lean into whatever potential we might have. And, you know, I've got huge confidence that Brisbane is going to become one of the Pacific's great cities. And Mm. I think it's up to us just to actually believe it because if we do, I think it will happen.
1: Queensland Youth Orchestras has a wonderful reputation for truly talented musicians, but they all had to start somewhere. What is talent development like in
2: Brisbane, would you say, and how do we compare globally. You know, this is really an untold story. It's Queensland for decades has led the nation, has led Australia in music education, in orchestral training. And that's a story that outside of music circles is largely unknown. And I think it, there's a few factors that have played into that. As I alluded to before, since the 1970s, the Queensland government has funded free instrumental tuition in state primary schools and secondary schools. QIO has always been a powerhouse. John Currow was a charismatic and inspiring presence for all of us who encountered him. And he stayed with QIO for 53 years, you know, a tremendous achievement building this great organization that it's now my privilege to lead. And I think. QIO being in the old museum has allowed, through this in-kind support that we've had from the Department of Public Works, which owns the building, we've been able to do our orchestral training. We've managed the spaces of the building, and that's allowed QIO to deliver fantastic, really world-class orchestral training experiences to a wide range of talented young musicians for a fraction of the cost. You know, The youth orchestras in Sydney and Melbourne, they can't offer the same range of activities that we do, and they have to charge a lot more for what they do offer. So, there is this kind of magic combination, that combination of support from the state government funding the Instrumental Training Program, plus QIO having that in-kind benefit of this beautiful old building has meant that something really unique and precious has been created. And I really want Queenslanders to know that we are good at this, you know, and um, we know what we're doing. We know how to train young musicians. We know that there's benefits that flow to young people that are beyond music. You know, there's so much research in the last 10, 15 years that demonstrates that kids who are exposed to a musical education have better outcomes in maths, in languages, they have all sorts of social skills that they develop. And so it's not even really a, just about training musicians, even though that's an important part of what we do. It's about creating a community of people that has a strong emotional connection to each other. And that is really something that you carry with you through your whole life. So, you know, I think um, I would really like as part of this Brisbane growth over the next few years is for us to really own this great untold story and really celebrate that because I think we really have the potential to be, you know, a global leader in music education and in orchestral training. In fact, we already are. We perhaps just need to um, advocate a little bit more than we've done in the past.
1: Mm. QAO's home has always been the old museum in Bowen Hills, which is one of our great historic assets here in Brisbane. And there's some very exciting things that are to come for that space. For those who are unaware, QAO recently received an unprecedented $20 million pledge, a philanthropic pledge towards a full restoration of the beloved old museum. What does this investment mean for the organisation's future?
2: The 20 million philanthropic pledge is really the most extraordinary thing that I've experienced in my career. What our donor hoped to catalyse really was a discussion about the future of the building and also a discussion about the future of QIO and what infrastructure and resources we we need to, to really thrive and do even more than we've done in the past. And the state governments have funded a business case which is currently progressing, looking at the feasibility of a restoration of the building. And so Our donor very much wants to see a restoration occur and the $20 will be forthcoming when they see the plans for for what happens. The donor also wants to ensure that QIO's tenancy in the building is secured and that we're not hit with high operating costs in any new um, restored building. So, there's still a lot of discussion, a lot of planning to be done because QIO also understands that this is an iconic and beloved building for all of Queensland. So ideally, we would like to see a restoration which enables QIO to continue doing what what we've been doing and even do more than what we've done in the past to expand and to grow and to bring music education, orchestral training to even a broader range of people than before. But we would also like to Share the old museum and find ways that we can really do both those things because I think all Queenslanders have an emotional attachment to that building. We all remember going there when we were kids, um, if you're above a certain age. You know, before the museum, the Queensland Museum moved to South Bank, that was the site of the Queensland Museum. And I remember going there as a kid, and it's always been a magical building. You walk in and you feel like you're in a special place. So, while QIO has had the great fortune to be there since 1989, we certainly hope that a restoration will enable us to do what we do while sharing it with all of Queensland. Mm.
1: You're so right that there, everyone has a memory from the old museum. I remember for me it was as a high school student and attending a production by Zen Zen Zo, and it was a promenade-style theatre piece based on The Seven Deadly Sins. Wow. And you can only imagine that kind of content within what is a really magnificent but also in the right hands, a a slightly spooky environment in, in terms of its cavernous rooms and winding hallways. And it was spectacular. It's certainly one of those experiences that has stayed with me as an arts lover and attendee. Queensland has a somewhat of a controversial history with the abandonment of some of these really significant cultural spaces over many decades. And of course, we've come a long way in, in preserving and protecting and celebrating those spaces. But how important was it for you and for QIO to maintain a home base that was there at the
2: old museum, which is the home, of course, of Brisbane's original concert hall? That's right. You know, from really when the building was first built in the late 1880s through until 1930, it was Brisbane's made main performing venue, you know, great international artists as well as Australian celebrities like Dame Nellie Melba and Percy Granger performed there. It was the birthplace of the Sampson Orchestra, which was a forerunner of our Queensland Symphony Orchestra, um, our professional orchestra here in Queensland. Also, community choirs performed there. So, it's always been a site for music making. And I think also something that perhaps people don't appreciate unless you're regularly visiting the Old Museum is that QIO also hosts a music-making community. There would be a large number of community orchestras and choirs who use the spaces of the Old Museum every single week of the year right now for their rehearsals, who are performing there regularly as well. You have community orchestras like the Brisbane Philharmonic Orchestra, Brisbane Symphony Orchestra, Brisbane Concert Orchestra. You have choirs like Brisbane Chorale, the Brisbane Concert Choir. Queensland choir who use those spaces. And so that tradition is very much being kept alive. And at QIO, it's always been important to us that we, the benefit that we receive from the Department of Public Works by being able to operate and manage the building, we try and pass that on so as much of the community as possible can share that those spaces. Because you're absolutely right. There is something about the place. When you go in those doors, you feel it has a bit of an aura, it's a bit mysterious it feels old, it feels grand. And certainly for kids, that's such a special experience to be admitted to those special places and to feel that you have the right to be there. You know, I've seen in Europe how young dancers who joined the school of the Paris Opera Ballet, they are allowed to rehearse in the Garnier Opera, which is Paris's beautiful old opera house. And there's a sense of this is just the rightful way of things when those young dancers invariably progress to the Paris Opera Ballet and become stars in their own right. And I think it gives you a kind of confidence. Now, I think we understand this in sporting arenas very well. You know, we know that young kids who are allowed to run out alongside their heroes onto the hallowed grounds where they watch them do their play every week that special experience has a catalyzing effect for, for those young kids. You know, whether it's cricket or rugby league or rugby union or netball or whatever, we're great at connecting young kids to the successful sports people that perhaps they want to become or aspire to become. And the old museum does that for young musicians. And I think that's something that shouldn't be underestimated. You know, it's not when we're talking about restoration, of course, we have to think about how much it's going to cost and you know what's going to bring revenue into the site. And those are really important considerations. But sometimes those other benefits, the intangible benefits, are also really worth considering because you're absolutely right. So much of Brisbane's history was erased or torn down in parts of the 20th century. And I think those places that remain, we really have to um, treat very carefully and with great respect.
1: Now, I wish to highlight that it was you, Simon, who turned the conversation from music to sport, and not me. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but but I do want to touch on that a little bit, because of course, as the host city of the 2032 Games, all eyes are on that milestone for the city, when of course, all eyes will be on Brisbane. There's a lot of conversations that are already starting, and they stem from the IOC president stating that they encourage projects that leave solid legacies for local communities. If you were to project yourself forward to 2033, the year after the Games, when we look back, what should our legacies be?
2: I would hope that Brisbane just has this natural, confident, playful sense of itself and that people who grow up in Brisbane believe that they can do anything they choose to and they can do it in Brisbane. My generation, you know, when I... I aspired to be a musician and a conductor, and it was just something I assumed that I would have to go away from Brisbane to practice that as a career or even to get an education in, in that field. And I would hope that in 2033, young people grow up in Brisbane, and if you go away because you want to see the world, there's also an underlying sense of, but of course I'm going to go back, because Brisbane isn't just a great climate and a great place to bring up kids, it's also... A hub and a leader in all sorts of fields, and you want to be a part of that excitement. And I think we'll get there. You know, I think the, all the potential is there, and I mm. think um, we just need to kind of lean into it, as I said earlier. Mm. You
1: have a really fantastic perspective on the city, having received, you know, grown up here, received your formative training and opportunities here, and then taken those skills and experiences around the world to some of the most coveted organisations, cultural organisations globally. Now you've come home and you're experiencing a very new and fresh and different Brisbane. In the spirit of this podcast, Dream Boldly, what are your hopes and aspirations for Brisbane?
2: I would like Brisbane to be a leading city of the Pacific. I'd like the world to know that Brisbane is a place where people are creative and confident and carefree and don't take themselves too seriously, that they're not afraid to try things out. They're not afraid to try new things. I'd like us to be a leader in... Climate related issues, in engagement with First Nations peoples. I would like us to be the kind of place where my kids are going to say, Dad, I just want to stay in Brisbane. It's the best place in the world.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us, Simon. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Dream Boldly. This podcast is brought to you by the Committee for Brisbane in association with Aruga. The Committee for Brisbane is an independent, not-for-profit organisation whose vision is for Greater Brisbane to be the world's most livable place. To find out more, please visit committeeforbrisbane.org.au. Please remember to rate and share the show. See you next time.